Good afternoon. This is Dr. Dan Guerra coming to you from Authentic Biochemistry Studios in the Inland Pacific Northwest of the USA. Today is the 3rd of February, 2021. Now, I thought today I would give you a straight lecture on a particular subclass of hormones known as adipokines. I'm going to do that because we've been referring to the anorexic and orexigenic pathways in the central nervous system and how the associated feeding and anti-feeding activities of certain adipokines generated secondary hormone synthesis that regulated the feeding impulses. And I told you that the same region of the brain where this occurs, the arcuate nucleus of the hypothalamus, is also a location where there are deterioration of neurons and associated microglial inflammatory responses during aging. And I told you that we were discussing the larger picture of the um, biological clock, as well as the senescence-associated secretory pathways and those associated with the degradation of mitochondria. So I went through program cell death and autophagy with you as well as kind of a general um, mini lectures. So before we continue on our path, um, we, we've done lipids and we've done amino acid metabolism a bit, and certainly we've done um, protein synthesis and degradation and cellular interactions, including the immune response. I'm gonna talk about um, just a frank discussion of adipokines. So that's where we are right now. So I'm just going to call this an adipokine update. So bear with me. I'm going to be looking at a couple of papers here that I pulled. Um, one from a journal called Cells, 2019 paper. I'll put this in the show notes. And it's interested in type 2 diabetes. And it, and it explains that T2D um, is obviously a very common metabolic disorder uh, for people who are obese. And obesity and aging can both be comorbid and actually enhance the aging process, as well as generate a whole uh, gambit of diseases that are linked to the elderly, but also linked to the obese population, both of which are increasing temporally. So there's been an obvious link between insulin resistance and uh, type 2 diabetes. Um, and the insulin resistance is obviously associated with um, a uh, inhibition of normal glucose homeostasis. So that's why it's linked to diabetes, which is how that's so named. But I have been trying to tell you that diabetes is really a disease of dyslipidemia. And I've explained that a lot of different ways, including the insulin resistance factor. And hopefully you have been completely convinced of that. But I also want to mention there is gestational diabetes mellitus, or GDM. And that's, of course, a very common metabolic problem in pregnancy. And no surprise, it has also been increasing in the last decade or two, um, going from a small, uh, less than 10% of most normal pregnancies, full-term pregnancies, uh, up to almost... Um, 80, 90% of pregnancies um, show some period of gestational diabetes. 
So obviously, this is going to be linked with either obesity or something else, um, most likely in the diet, uh, dietary environment of the, of the uh, pregnant woman. So cardiovascular disease is going to be linked to this. Um, hypertension, of course. And what we want to do is get a clear picture of why uh, normal glucose tolerance is lost during pregnancy. Because as I said, um, during any given nine-month period of gestation, you can have very high percentages of GDM. But in general, about one-third of women with type 2 diabetes were previously diagnosed with gestational diabetes. So not only during pregnancy, but then the rest of their life, they may be um, beleaguered with this uh, really um, high morbidity disease, which can decrease the quality of life substantially and also decrease the total number of years. Okay, So that's why it's important. So I want to explain to you, there's a lot of good evidence to suggest that there's a link between one particular protein um, that we haven't talked much about here, although I did, I think, about a year ago, maybe even more than that. And that's the FABB4, or fatty acid binding protein 4. Uh, that's linked to insulin resistance and, of course, associated gestational diabetes as well as type 2 diabetes, frank, since it's strict to. So FABP4 um, has a lot of different names in the literature before it was finally named that. Um, one, of the pla one of the things you'll find is simply adipocyte fatty acid binding protein, or AFABP. You'll find that in literature going back into the 90s and early 2000s. It is an adipokine, and it belongs to the callicin protein superfamily. So a small note about callicins. They are a large protein superfamily. They all have beta barrel structures uh, in terms of their uh, in terms of the structure of the protein itself. And they can be divided into families that include such proteins that we have discussed in the past, lipocalins, uh, frank fatty acid binding proteins, both intracellular and extracellular, triabin, and of course the thrombin inhibitor. So the lipocalin family is obviously the largest and is most functionally diverse. And these lipocalins are the extracellular polypeptides that share very, very similar recognition sequences, uh, such as ligand binding, receptor binding, and the formation of uh, macromolecular complexes. Um, these lipocalins are, um, some of them have been well described uh, in the literature way before uh, the um, FABP4 was looked at for diabetes. And we've talked about this. Retinol binding protein is a very common lipocalin, okay? As is aphrodisin, which is actually a sex hormone, and prostaglandin D synthase, so the synthesis of eicosanoids, the prostaglandin class, beta-lactoglobulin is part of this family, uh, bilin binding proteins, and even nitroforins. So uh, callicins are really well described in the literature. Uh, I have one more name for this uh, protein, uh, the uh, fatty acid binding protein 4. It's also been termed uh, the AP2, which is the adipocyte protein, okay? And so and it's, also, it's also got uh, some literature called the myelin P2 protein. 
Now, it's found mostly in adipocytes, and it's about actually 1% of all the soluble protein in the adipose tissue. So FABB4 is very common. It will reversibly bind to just about any hydrophobic ligand. It uh, binds well to saturated and unsaturated, including polyunsaturated long-chain fatty acids. It will bind to eicosanoids. Remember, those are oxygenated long-chain fatty acids. Uh, it also binds to triacylglycerol, glycerolipids, and sphingolipids, but to a slightly lesser degree. Um, it takes part in the regulation of lipid trafficking because of this, because, you know, fatty acids are not soluble in aqueous. So if they're going to traffic even intracellularly, but certainly if they're in the uh, serum, they're going to be bound to a protein. So this is a very common motif because lipids, remember, are hydrophobic. So FABPs act, can, can act anyways as intracellular lipid chaperones. They're involved in the transport of fatty acids to all the different organelles, uh, mitochondria, peroxisome, nucleus, ER, Golgi. And they play a significant role because they bind to substrate fatty acid for lipid peroxidation. Uh, and of course, lipid-associated transcriptional regulation and co-transcriptional regulation, such as the serving up the substrate for pomidylation and meristylation. Um, they're involved in signaling, trafficking, and of course, membrane biogenesis. Um, these fatty acid binding proteins also can be associated with enzymatic activity, promoting enzymatic activity, or uh, decreasing KM, sometimes increasing KM, and sometimes altering the Vmax of certain enzymes that are involved in lipid metabolism. Um, fatty acid binding proteins are essential for lipid droplet formation, such as in the skeletal muscle. Um, and so they, and one more um, factor that the, uh, these fatty acid binding proteins have played a very major role in stabilizing eicosanoids, particularly the leukotrienes, which are highly reactive. Now, the human FABP4 is about 132 amino acids. Its molecular mass is 14.6 kilodalton, so it's a small protein. And its expression is increased during adipocyte differentiation. Um, in fact, it is an adipocyte differentiation marker. Uh, and it's also found when monocytes are converted to macrophages in circulation or in tissue beds. There's a, there's a lot of association with pro-inflammatory cytokines and chemokines. And in fact, the inflammatory response helps control the fatty acid binding protein expression at the level of transcription. Back in macrophages, FABB4 stimulates foam cell formation, which you know is a, the beginning stages prodromal for atherosclerotic plaques, particularly in the cardiac muscle. So foam cell formation, of course, is normally linked with, with um, oxidized or oxygenated low-density lipoproteins associated with oxysterols, such as oxycholesterol. And all of this is noticed to, no, noted to increase during that atherosclerosis, prodromal cardiovascular disease response. And this is linked to insulin resistance and glucose intolerance, of course. That's where you get back to the diabetes. Um, you get increased concentrations of the fatty acid binding protein uh, along with insulin resistance. So it's, it's a direct association. 
And in fact, the peroxone proliferator activated receptor gamma and the CAT enhancer binding protein, that's the C slash EBP we've talked about a great deal, those are transcription factors, actually regulate the expression of FABP4. And so that's why they are linked directly to adipogenesis. Because remember, um, lipogenesis is linked to those, and, and lipid metabolism is linked to those two transcription factors. So PPAR gamma not only promotes the, the proliferation differentiation of adipocytes, which I think is well described, but it can also confer normal physiological insulin sensitivity to those adipocytes. The increased insulin sensitivity in turn promotes the expression of the PPR gamma gene in the adipose tissue. And so you get a positively um, proactive um, differentiation of the adipocytes following that pathway. The fatty acid binding protein four expressions controlled at that transcriptional level by PPR gamma. And I told you already, C slash EBP. And in type 2 diabetes, this transcriptional regulation becomes dysfunctional dysregulated. That's a key point to remember. Other actions of the fatty acid binding protein encompass a great deal of inflammatory responses. These are going to be some of our well-described transcription factors and signaling associated kinases, the IKK kinase, the NF-kappa-B, the C-jun, and terminal kinase, that's a junk kinase I've talked about a great deal just recently. And of course, the junk activating protein 1, AP1 pathways. All of, the, all of this allows us to observe that the fatty acid binding protein 4 increases the hydrolytic activity also of the hormone-sensitive lipase, which of course generates free fatty acid. So the fatty acid binding protein 4 is an adipokine and indeed it influences insulin resistance as well as sensitivity. Now, the expression of that protein, the binding protein, is, uh, is highly increased at the transcriptional level during adipocyte differentiation. And as I've already told you, it's transcription controlled by PPAR gamma, but many agonists will also promote its expression such as the accumulation of free fatty acids, um, dexamethasone, so steroid, steroids can also enhance the expression of this binding protein, and indeed insulin itself. Now, insulin will downregulate only the microvesicular free-mediated and microvesicular secreted FABP4, but the release of the protein via the adipocyte-derived microvesicles um, is, is also an important component of that activity, okay? So there's a lot of features to consider here. When you generate a double knockout fatty acid binding protein for mouse, they exhibit a great deal of pathophenotypes. One of them is a defect in the beta-adrenergic-stimulated insulin secretion that occurs during obese and lean conditions in the murine model. And that suggests that fatty acid binding protein plays a major significant role in beta cell function, hence insulin secretion, right? Um, beta cells do not express the FABP themselves, however. So the, all of this, I want you to keep in mind because this is linked to gestational diabetes, as I've said, as well as to 
later on say type two diabetes, both of them linked to obesity. Okay. Now, paper published a few, well, now about nine years ago, actually, in a, a rather obscure journal, but still one I look at, called the Union Journal of Pharmacology, since published in 2012, um, also talks about the metabolic syndrome. Now, the metabolic syndrome is also known as the cardiometabolic syndrome, and because uh, it causes dysfunction of the uh, uh, cardiovascular system. So what it is, is insulin resistance, impaired glucose tolerance, atherogenic dyslipidemia, and very big important thing, hypertension, that is high blood pressure. And it's all linked to IAA. No, that's not endolacetic acid, the hormone in plants. It, IAA is the intra-abdominal adiposity. That's what it's linked to, intra-abdominal adiposity. So um, this thing used to be called uh, syndrome X spec. When I first started looking at it, which probably would have been in the early 2000s, it's also known as Revan syndrome, beer belly syndrome. Right? So it's been well described. Now, the syndrome itself is both individually and interdependently a very high risk factor for cardiovascular disease, both morbidity and mortality linked with heart attacks, actually. So people with metabolic syndrome are actually two to three times, depending on age, older, more likely to die from uh, coronary heart disease if they also have been linked to um, the metabolic syndrome. So they're more likely to have heart attack or, and or stroke. So intra-abdominal obesity is a major contributor to all of this cardiometabolic risk. In fact, visceral fat of course, is a, an organ itself. It's very, metabolically very active. And it, what it will produce is pro-inflammatory and pro-thrombotic cytokines. So the association of fatty liver, which we talked about, hepatosteatosis, uh, inflammation, fat, inflamed fatty liver, plus abdominal visceral adipose tissue, which is known as VAT, um, is all in cardiometabolic syndrome. And in fact, it's been studied in great detail in cardiovascular studies, in, particularly in the last decade. So both fatty liver and abdominal visceral adipose tissue are actually independent correlates of cardiometabolic disease. Um, so indeed, skeletal muscle mitochondria from obese and diabetic people was smaller in size as compared to the lean subjects. So you see here is a mitochondrial um, inveying disorder. So again, let me repeat that. Skeletal muscle mitochondria from obese and diabetic patients are similar in that they are both smaller in size and there's fewer of them as compared to lean, healthy subjects. So that indicates impaired bioenergetics, right? With less mitochondrial activity. And that's exactly what you see in obese and diabetic patients. Uh, Mitochondria-based model for insulin insensitivity and sensitivity has been well described in the literature. And uh, that's where you get an essential link to with the ceramide activity, which I've mentioned a while back, generating insulin resistance. So insulin resistance is directly associated with decrease in mitochondrial function. So that would mean Mitophagy would be playing a role. 
paroxysmal uh, intradegradation would also play a role, all of that leading to possible um, necrosis and or one of the many constellated forms of programmed cell death. In fact, when you get a decrease in mitochondrial to nuclear DNA ratio in adolescence, this is one of the um, benchmarks in clinical discussion of insulin-resistant diabetes uh, associated to obesity, even in the adolescent population. So that's something that's been overlooked. In fact, it's been well described, unfortunately, because uh, obesity in young people has just been um, out of control um, ever since really early 2000s. And it first started in the West, but it's pretty much permeated everywhere in the world now. Now, uh, again, another paper that's very recent. This is Frontiers in Physiology, published just, oh, like uh, only very late 2020. October, November came out in Frontiers in Physiology. So it's only been out a couple, three months, two, three months. This paper tells us the following, a lot of which we already know. So this is just recapping. But that's why I'm giving this lecture because the mini canonical lecture in adipokines, remember. So, okay, first of all, Adipose tissue is an endocrine organ, and of course, it secretes these adipokines. That's not anything new to my authentic biochemistry crew. I know that because adipokines have been very well discussed here, their function and how they mediate feeding, the appetitive satiety response through the arcuate nucleus of the hypothalamus via POMC and NPY neurons we just went over. Right. Now, adipokines mediate basal metabolic index, so the BMI, heart rate, serum glucose and fatty acid and triacylglycerol levels, as well as phospholipid levels, uh, and of course, pro-inflammatory cytokine production. So adipokines are heavily involved in all of these important uh, intermediates medi and mediators of um, multiple metabolic responses throughout the body both in the central nervous system and in the periphery. Adipokines are released by the adipocytes, so those include like leptin and adiponectin, or pre-adipocytes, and also any adipose tissue infiltrated with immune cells. And I include ghrelin here. Now, ghrelin isn't made in the adipose. It's made, of course, in the stomach, gastric system, but I include that as an adipokine because of its contrarian function to the adipose-derived adipokine. So now here's something that I did talk about a while back, but probably you don't remember. Um, Th2 uh, lymphocytes promote adipose glucose homeostasis by enhancing insulin, insulin sensitivity and that, and that insulin sensitivity specifically in the skeletal muscle and in the adipocyte. And, they, and Th2 lymphocytes also regulate the browning, brown adipose tissue or BAT activation but all of that can lead to chronic inflammation of the white adipose tissue, which is much more abundant in humans as opposed to the murine model. So less bat, more wat, white adipose tissue. And that leads, of course, to a plenum of activation of pro-inflammatory cytokines in those adipocytes and in all the resident immune cells associated with it. And this is in keeping with part of the morbidity of obesity and it involves actually a turning down of Treg differentiation, Treg 
anti-inflammatory cytokine production. So you get pro-inflammatory signaling that comes out of the uh, BAT, that also, that's the brown adipose tissue, and that can repress even the thermogenic function of that in infants, and of course, really important in murine uh, model. Um, so diet-induced thermogenesis can be great, greatly diminished. Uh, uh, that whole pathway can be greatly diminished because of the pro-inflammatory signaling through the bat. Adipokine dysfunction is associated, of course, with obesity, and it leads, as I said now, insulin resistance, type 2 diabetes, uh, gestational diabetes, and the, the real killer in humans, cardiovascular disease. So none of this, again, is new to uh, my people, uh, my crew here in authentic biochemistry, right? We've talked about this a great deal. And, um, you know, all, we're, all I'm doing now is flushing out some of the details of the adipokines. Now, besides the adipose tissue, adipokines are made in the synoviocytes. I talked about those. Osteoclasts, I talked about those as well as osteoblasts. I know I talked about all of this before. We talked about rheumatoid arthritis. We talked about this, right? The synoviocytes, the osteoclasts and the osteoclasts, big front and center in rheumatoid arthritis. And in osteoarthritis, because chondrocytes also will generate adipokines. Um, and a whole host of inflammatory cells, as I've already mentioned. All of this can be linked in the joint microenvironment. And so you get a potent immunomodulatory activity that becomes corrupted in rheumatoid diseases such as osteoarthritis and frank RA or rheumatoid arthritis, okay? Now, besides novel adipokines like folostatin-like one, secreted protein acidic rich in cysteine spark, we talked about that, secreted frizzled-related protein five, the C1Q, TN5-related proteins are also known as CTRPs. All of those have sequence similarity to a 19-member a5 wingless type inducible signaling pathway protein known as WISP1, also progranulin, nesfatin, visfatin, apelin, retinol binding protein 4, okay, plasminogen activator inhibitor 1. We've talked about all these, have all been identified in the adipose tissue, and all of those are frank adipokines, okay. So I want to remind you that leptin, we're going to just start this process of this discussion and we're going to, we're going to follow it up with another lecture uh, tomorrow, probably in the morning. I'm going to remind you something about leptin, okay? Leptin is well-known adipokine for obesity and metabolic dysfunctions. So hyperleptinemia is positively correlated with obesity and metabolic dysfunction. Uh, and what it does is decrease food intake, it increases energy expenditure, and it induces insulin resistance, right? You also find it rheumatoid arthro uh, arthritic, arthritic diseases. So once again, hyperleptinemia is associated with what's called an erosion in patients with that disease, with RA. Cardiovascular disease, it's very florid and significant. Hyperleptinemia associated with prothrombotic events, endothelial dysfunction, cardiovascular remodeling, which is never good, especially as you're aging. Now, leptin regulates cardiac contractile function, 
and metabolism within the cardiomyocytes. Also control cell size, cell density, and the production of the extracellular matrix, and also the enzymes that break that down, the metalloproteinases. All of that lengthy cardiomyocytes, okay? So the next uh, great adipokine that we've spent a lot of time on is adiponectin, but I'm going to leave that as a starting point for the next in this two-part series in authentic biochemistry, giving you an adipokine mini lecture so that we can then talk about adipokines as being yet another biochemical um, sequence of events that are associated with aging, the immune response linked senescence, and ultimately the morbidity that you get with aging, including central nervous system disorders like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, but also uh, the, the major issues with uh, visceral fat deposition and the uh, sarcopenia and muscle tissue, all of which are common senescence aging phenotypes. All of this is going to be linked back to these adipokines. And we've already talked about this um, many times, but now I'm just giving you this many lectures. So, okay. So I'm going to end it here because I'm out, out of time. This is Dr. Dan Guerra from Authentic Biochemistry Studios in the Inland Pacific Northwest on the 3rd of February, 2021. And what I'm saying, of course, is my normal sign-off. Bye. For now.